Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome to Prophecy Today. I'm here in Waco, Texas, in temporary studios because we'll be at the Parkview Baptist Church again tonight. We were there last night, a great meeting. We'll be here tonight and then all day Sunday for a weekend prophecy conference. What a time of the year to hold a prophecy conference. We are thinking about the first coming of Jesus Christ, but indeed that does set the stage for the second coming of Christ. Well, we have a jam-packed program today. We're going to be focused on the vote at the United Nations. They, at the General Assembly in New York City, approved an upgrade for the Palestinian people. We'll get into the discussion of all of that and how it will help you understand how current events are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. And by the way, Jamie Foxx said that Barack Obama is our Lord and Savior. I would suggest that is blasphemy. Dr. John Wickham will be along. We'll talk to him about blasphemy. He'll give us a definition of it, and it'll be an important discussion. You do not want to miss it. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Now let's get right underway with our broadcast partners. Ken Timmerman first coming to the microphone. Ken, I want to bring to your attention, first of all, something that is the buzz around Washington, D.C. President Obama is calling his uh, ambassador to the United Nations, Ambassador Rice, extraordinary, even with the Republicans really concerned about their meetings with uh, the ambassador and whether she should be nominated to be Secretary of State. Now, this is a bit political, but I want to discuss it on this program because whomever the Secretary of State is going to be in the future for the United States is going to be a major player on the world scene and helping to shape what does happening, what does happen across the entire world. Talk to us about the situation, Ken. What is going on in your opinion? Well, let me be a little bit counterintuitive here, Jimmy. And uh, first, let me, I'll recap what's going on in Washington, but then I want to give you my analysis of this. Uh, um, Susan Rice, who's now the uh, United States Ambassador to the United Nations, uh, had a series of private meetings with uh, Republican senators who would presumably be uh, uh, voting for her or voting against her as the Secretary of State nominee. And these meetings have gone uh, disastrously for Susan Rice. Even uh, the moderate uh, Republican from Maine, one of the two weird sisters from Maine, Susan Collins, um, said after meeting her that she had uh, serious questions for Rice that were not resolved by that meeting. Uh, she pointed to the fact that already in 1998 uh, the State Department was warning about lax security at our embassies in Africa, and now uh, we have the attack on the uh, uh, U.S. Uh, facility in Benghazi, Benghazi, Libya, that uh, uh, Susan Rice seems to have swept away as uh, something that was prompted by a movie made in the United States. Uh, so this bodes very uh, poorly for her ability to successfully uh, cruise through a U.S. Senate nomination process to become Secretary of State. But here's where I want to get counterintuitive on you. Susan Rice is President Obama's favorite. That's why he came out uh, with this strong support for her. And uh, he essentially, I believe, uh, thinks that he has a mandate from the U.S. voting public to do whatever he wants to in the next four years. And I think he's going to stick it to Republicans as far as he possibly can. He does not care about their opinion. Uh, and he will try to go around them and uh, you know, get his, 
get his popular supporters and the left-wing media behind him. Uh, now, here's the thing. Susan Rice is a weak individual. She is President Obama's choice because he essentially uh, wants a yes person as Secretary of State. Hillary Clinton was not always that yes person. And uh, the other candidate being mentioned is John Kerry. John Kerry is not a weak-willed uh, individual. I disagree with him on many policy issues. And I think, in fact, John Kerry would be a, uh, a more uh, dangerous Secretary of State in many ways uh, insofar as he would uh, be pursuing a policy towards the Islamic Republic of Iran of appeasement and negotiation that I think is very dangerous. Susan Rice will do that as well, but she will do it at Obama's bidding. She will not do anything Obama does not want to do. And I think that Obama is going to be a bit more cautious uh, on foreign policy issues uh, himself, given his natural inclinations to focus on turning America into a socialist uh, state uh, on a European model. I think that's going to be his primary focus, his primary um, emphasis. Uh, Foreign policy is a secondary interest for him at this point. Let's go to the Middle East just for a moment. Opponents blame the Muslim Brotherhood for uh, President Mohamed Morsi's outreach, or overreach, I should say, uh, with uh, how he has claimed dictatorial rights in that country, especially after he brokered the Israeli-Hamas ceasefire. Uh, This is not looking good, or can he bring it back? Well, uh, I think he will. Uh, Again, what he did, Jimmy, was issue a presidential decree essentially telling the judiciary in Egypt to stay out of his business and let him do whatever he wanted to do, uh, that there would be no judicial uh, review or purview over presidential actions. Uh, now, he was able to do this because there was not a, a governing constitution right now in, in Egypt. They have a constitutional uh, assembly underway, uh, and what we've heard about that new constitution is that it would, it would essentially install Sharia law permanently in Egypt and give it much more power than it has uh, previously. Um, Morsi has demonstrated what all Muslim Brotherhood leaders, whether it's Erdogan in Turkey or uh, uh, Ismail Haneye in Gaza, is that they may come to power through democratic means, but they essentially want to install an Islamic state. I think that's what we're seeing in Egypt. Uh, And the fact that there have been days and days of demonstrations against him, I think, is actually a rather positive uh, turn of events. It shows that the Egyptian people aren't quite ready for an Islamic dictatorship, and I think that's actually good news. Well, actually, that is probably good news, but uh, what's going to be the end result? Will Morsi win out or not? Well, I think in the short term he is going to win out. So far, uh, uh, there does not appear to be significant opposition to that constitution, but uh, uh, as they say in in, uh, in the news business, let's wait till next week. <laughs> that is ep- well in the Middle East. Let's, let's wait till the next hour or so. Sometimes it does move so quickly. Over in Sudan, looks like uh, the Iranian warship is ready to make a port call. There, uh, this is pulling his alignment of uh, nations in Africa and throughout the Middle East into shape to stand with the Iranians. Does it not? Well, it does, and, and the Iranians are showing themselves to be quite aggressive here. They're going into the Red Sea, in other words, just off of Israel's territorial waters, not far, it's just outside the Gulf of Aqaba, uh, to Port Sudan, and they're bringing a military ship, an armed warship, into the Red Sea. Um, now, this is also in the context, Jimmy, of them uh, reportedly rearming Hamas with more rockets that uh, have been discovered on a commercial vessel 
leaving Bandar Abbas, that's an Iranian port, for, uh, we're not exactly sure where they're going to steam, but quite possibly into the Sudan. Um, so Iran is trying to flex its muscle. Uh, the Islamic Republic uh, wants Israel and everybody else to understand that they now have a power projection capability, which just a few years ago they did not have. Uh, this is a dangerous development, and I can guarantee you that the Israeli Navy um, is watching this very, very closely. Yeah, and in fact, the Israeli Defense Force has had some activity in that part of the world in uh, recent months as well. They may have to uh, get those aircraft ready to go again. Pakistan, Ken, is the only, today, the only Islamic nation that has a nuclear weapon of mass destruction. Now, the reports are that they've tested a test fired, actually, a ballistic missile that could carry a nuclear warhead. This does not bode well, does it? Well, and this is a longer-range version of their gallery uh, missiles, which they've been developing for a number of years with help from North Korea uh, and quite probably some help from Russia as well. Uh, the, 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 the gallery gives them um, a capability, uh, if successful, to launch um, to hit targets 800 miles away from Pakistan. Now, uh, that doesn't bring uh, uh, Israel in, into range by, by any estimate at all, but it does give them the ability to hit any place uh, in India. It allows them to hit parts of Iran, should they wish to do that, uh, and it gives them a, a longer um, you know, reach. They could hit you know, Yemen if they chose to do something like that. Uh, but the Pakistanis have been developing these missiles for many, many years, uh, they have a missile uh, capability, an operational missile capability, uh, and this latest version certainly shows that uh, they want to put a warhead on top of it. I would like to see the design of that warhead to see if they really have succeeded uh, in building a small enough warhead to put on top of this missile. I think that's the real key here, more than the missile itself. Uh-huh. What about the Pakistani uh, governmental operation? It's somewhat unstable, unstable today. Uh, should this cause concern if they're the only Islamic nation with a nuclear weapon and now they're test firing a missile that can carry a nuclear warhead? That doesn't sound good for the entire world. Well, obviously, and, and that is the real fear with Pakistan. How far away are we from uh, a Taliban government in Pakistan? Already uh, the ISI, Pakistan's military intelligence, which has extraordinary powers inside the country, is uh, pretty much dominated by pro-Taliban uh, elements. Uh, the military itself uh, is extensively um, uh, run by pro-Taliban elements. So we are, we are close to a situation already where the official government of Pakistan uh, uh, is uh, virtually a pro-Taliban government, and they have nuclear weapons and ballistic missile capabilities. I think what's keeping uh, Pakistan in line uh, at this point uh, is is um, you know they do not want to openly appear to be a terrorist state. Uh, they they still would like uh, the advantages that come from being um, having an alliance with the United States, receiving foreign aid from the United States, and they're not ready yet to cross that line and to openly become a terrorist state. Ken, always a joy to be able to talk with you. Not only because you're so knowledgeable, but you help us to understand these events and help us to really get a grasp on why things are happening in our world. Thank you so very much, my good friend. We'll talk again soon. Thank you so much, Jimmy, and God bless.
Hey, we're going to take a break. When we come back, David Dolan is going to give us a Middle East news update. That's all ahead here on Prophecy Today. In today's world, a biblical worldview and a proper understanding of biblical prophecy should be a priority. At a time when many false doctrines are entering the church at a frightening pace, we must be able to rightly divide God's Word in order to live a pure and productive life for Him. If you would like an in-depth understanding of biblical prophecy, let me challenge you to consider Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. The School of Prophets is an online study for the layman or student pursuing a master's or doctorate degree. Dr. DeYoung's online study program will allow you to develop a timeline of biblical prophecies of the past as well as future prophecies yet to be fulfilled. Your personal study of God's Word will only be enhanced by Dr. DeYoung's School of Prophets and your life will be changed as you better understand, like Daniel, where you fit into God's calendar of events. If you're interested in developing a deeper understanding of God's prophetic Word, let me personally invite you to become involved in Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. Call today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us at schoolofprophets.org. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy DeYoung's Revelation, A Chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today, Jimmy DeYoung. We're here in the area of Waco, Texas. We'll be at the Parkview Baptist Church, and I'll have more about that just a bit later on. Thank you for joining us here on Prophecy Today. Some very important discussions with our broadcast partners. Let's bring the next one to the table. He's David Dolan. He covers the Middle East for us. And David, what has happened within the last uh, maybe 72 hours is right up your alley. The Palestinians going to the United Nations, United Nations General Assembly, overwhelmingly voting to give them a grade up in their status there at the United Nations. First of all, first blush, your thoughts. What does this mean? Does it mean anything at all? Well, it really doesn't uh, uh, mean uh, much in practical terms, as uh, we've been hearing from not only the Israelis, but uh, from some of the Palestinians themselves. Uh, It's symbolic. Um, They're now being referred to by the United Nations as a state, Um, even if a non-observer state. But in essence, the U.N. has conferred uh, statehood on uh, a non-state. And uh, ironically, Jimmy, this comes exactly to the day, 65 years to the day after the U.N. voted to partition um, the Holy Land, uh, then called Palestine, but of course there was no country of Palestine, as you know, into both a Jewish and an Arab state. And at the time, the Arabs roundly rejected that, not just local Arabs that uh, were later known as Palestinians, but also um, the whole Arab world. And, um, and now, 65 years later, they've got uh, uh, 
you know, observer status, and they're being referred to as a state. Uh, well, this is some achievement for them, and particularly if they can turn it into a legal um, definition that will allow them, and this is what the Israelis are worried about, allow them to go to the UN's um, accord in The Hague in, uh, in Europe uh, to take Israeli leaders to court, charging them with war crimes, etc., things that they've said they want to do. If they succeed in doing that, then it will become more than just a symbolic act. But as of this time, we don't know that they'll succeed in going that far. It's never been tried before that a non-observer, that a non-state that has observer status um, uh, goes to these different U.N. agencies and tries to utilize them against other member states. So um, so far, it's really symbolic. But, of course, uh, they need something. Uh, Abbas, uh, Mahmoud Abbas, the head of the Palestinian Authority, uh, very much um, uh, under pressure to deliver something in light of Hamas's, quote, victory that we talked about last week, their uh, rocket assault upon Israeli cities and towns. It proved to be very popular with all Palestinians, with many of uh, Abbas's own people taking to the streets in Ramallah and elsewhere to cheer on those Hamas attacks. So uh, this gives him a little bit more credibility and authority, but frankly, it's a, it's a, lot, a lot to do about not very much at this stage. Let's set history straight, David. The Palestinians are now saying that back 65 years ago, uh, the Israelis pushed the Palestinian people out of their land, out of their homeland. Interestingly, Mahmoud Abbas at the United Nations General Assembly made the statement, I'm here to petition you to issue a birth certificate for the state of Palestine. In other words, admitting that this would be the beginning of any type of Palestinian state. But uh, what I'm thinking about, more important, did the Israelis push the Palestinians out, or they, did they voluntarily go uh, with their elderly, their young people, their wives, and uh, then the Palestinians trying to wipe Israel in the sea into the Mediterranean? Well, I mean, if if um, if Abbas wants to talk about a birth certificate for a Palestinian state, yes, the UN did issue that 65 years ago, uh, in uh, November of 1947, when um, uh, they voted overwhelmingly to partition the land into an Arab and a Jewish state. Um, Israel, of course, uh, was born as an actual state just a few months later. It was in bloodshed, but the Palestinians could have, from that time had their state, had they accepted, or their leaders at the time accepted um, the U.N. partition plan, but they were confident that they would wipe the nascent uh, Jewish state off the map uh, even before it uh, was born. It would be stillborn, in other words. That isn't, of course, the way it happened. They've tried several times since then to destroy Israel. And again, the Israelis see this as another attempt to destroy them, because um, the peace process, the very fact that there is a Palestinian authority, that Mahmoud Abbas is an elected leader of the Palestinian people, even if he doesn't have a sovereign state yet, he certainly has land that the PA controls, uh, Ramallah and, and uh, all of the big cities, uh, Hebron and Nablus and, and um, um, the Jer- Jericho and the Jordan Valley, they control all those areas. They control most of the Palestinians. They rule their own police force. They have their own other attributes of, uh, of statehood. They just don't have a formal state yet. 
but um, uh, this isn't going to create it. Uh, the peace process is the only thing, as the Israelis are saying, that could create it. And the Oslo Peace Accord strictly forbid either party, either the Israelis or the Palestinians, from taking unilateral actions that might, um, that, you know, would have the effect of, um, of uh, checkmating the other, that, that, that aren't taken in participation with the other in terms of the final status of the peace and how it's going to look. All the Palestinians have thrown that in the, in the trash uh, bin right now and are taking this unilateral uh, action through the U.N., and um, the Israelis are not very impressed, and it's certainly not going to help. And as uh, Susan Rice said at the U.N. yesterday in behalf of the U.S., this really sets back attempts to bring a final peace negotiation. So unless the Palestinians believe that they and their allies can destroy Israel militarily, and of course with Iran building nuclear something and saying that Israel will be wiped out, many of them do believe that. But that's really their only option at this point of um, moving forward to achieve their declared goal of a state, uh, you know, in the areas they control. It's interesting to note that Prime Minister Netanyahu said the U.N. vote changes nothing on the ground. And, in fact, in a cabinet meeting, uh, basically the day after uh, the vote at the United Nations, uh, the cabinet, the Israeli cabinet, approved building three more or 3,000 additional homes in what would be considered the the area of the West Bank by the media and many politicians, the area as we know it, Judea and Samaria. Now, this is a type of in-your-face thing, isn't it? Well, I mean, you know, the, the, again, the uh, Prime Minister has made plain before that if the other side takes drastic unilateral steps, and they warned them that over a year ago when Abbas first went to the U.N., in September last year, and said that uh, he would try to get in as a member state at that time, that if they take unilateral steps and thereby break the peace treaty, which is what they've done, then Israel is free uh, from the treaty obligations, meaning it could take a unilateral step. And, of course, what you know many Israelis would like to see is a annexation of Judea and Samaria and a uh, you know, uh, Israel declaring this is now part of sovereign Israel proper, period, and we're not going to do anything further than that. Well, that would the, the world would be in an uproar if that happened, but nevertheless, that's what a unilateral step is. It's one-sided. You don't consult with the other side. And in this case, um, they not only have not consulted with Israel, but they know full well that the Israelis oppose the way they're doing this and that it uh, is considered... Uh, the collapse of the peace treaty, so they've decided to collapse the process. They can't now complain if Israel's going to keep building homes for its people in these areas that are, after all, part of uh, Judaism's biblical heartland. You know, this conversation is going to continue into the future. Uh, David Dolan and I never have a lack of something to talk about because, as he's been indicating, this is not over. And whatever the Palestinians think they have gained with this vote at the United Nations is going to have to play out on the ground. Uh, You know, and it's a time like this. Yasser Arafat used to always do this. Now there's a Muslim group claiming that uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu is doing all of this so he can build a temple on the Temple Mount. What are your thoughts about that? Well, um, certainly not only the Palestinians, but the entire Muslim world, but especially the Arab Muslim world, and that's uh, alone two or three hundred million people. They don't want to see any uh, further 
steps taken towards rebuilding a Jewish temple or anything like that. So that's the entire Islamic world's stated uh, position. And, of course, Israel's is, hey, this is our holiest site on earth. It has been for twice as long as Islam's even existed, and it's the heart of our country, our capital city, and we're not going to willingly abandon it. Now, they don't go on to say, government at least, we're going to build a temple up there, but certainly um, Netanyahu and others know that this is something that many Israelis do desire to see, ultimately, so Palestinians know that, too, so the fight's going to continue over that. The fight is going to continue over many things in the Middle East. And that's why always we search out wherever we can find him, David Dolan, to give us insight in his Middle East news update and let us know uh, some of the important things that are unfolding and what really is taking place. David, thank you so much, my good friend. We'll talk to you again real soon. Okay, Jimmy. You're welcome. God bless. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll continue this discussion with Itamar Marcus. He's going to tell us what the Palestinian media is saying about this U.N. vote. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Have you ever wanted to know more about God's plan for the future? Have you ever tried to understand prophetic passages in God's Word, like, say, the book of Revelation, and been frustrated at not being able to figure it out? Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest CD series, Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, will help you gain the ability to understand where to start in your study of prophecy and allow you to read God's Word in a new and exciting way. Understanding God's prophetic Word will allow you to live a pure and productive life until Jesus returns for the church. Keys will help you gain the tools you need to understand the end-time events as foretold in God's Word. Dr. DeYoung lays out a systematic approach to Bible prophecy for those who want to know God's plan for the future. Tracks included are A Roadmap Through the End Times, The Jew in Jerusalem, Daniel and the Antichrist, Ezekiel and Messiah's Temple, and Revelation and Babylon. To order your copy of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung. As mentioned, we're here in temporary studios in Waco, Texas, and we're going to be here for the rest of the weekend, last night and tonight, by the way, at the Parkview Baptist Church located on Lakeshore Drive with Pastor John Collier and all of his fine people. We're going to be focusing on what the prophets Ezekiel, Malachi, and Obadiah say about the Palestinian people. And we'll do that so that uh, you have a better understanding of what Bible prophecy calls for. Well, and in fact, talking about the Palestinian people, I want to bring to these microphones a man who assists us in understanding what the Palestinian media is really saying. Both the electronic and the printed page has a message from the people who edit these newspapers, who manage them, who are the political leaders, and there is a team who continually monitors everything in the Palestinian media. It's headed up by a man named Itamar Marcus and the organization Palestinian Media Watch. They have a website, palwatch.org. You can sign up for their newsletter alert that comes out when they have a brand new story that will be of information that you need to have. Itamar, I know you're a very busy man. Thanks for taking a moment to be with us. And talk to me, if you will, about this recent time at the United Nations. The Palestinians went to the United Nations with the purpose of trying to upgrade their status, uh, which would make them basically, not technically correct, but literally correct, 
are, you know, as far as they're concerned, a Palestinian state. Uh, and what was their two goals? Was that part of one of their goals to try to get that status? Absolutely. The If you remember last year, they went to the Security Council to request full statehood. And they saw that they didn't have a majority, that a couple of states and that the United States was going to veto. And they decided to, uh, to postpone. This year they decided something else. They didn't go to the Security Council where the United States and other countries have veto. They went to the General Assembly where you've got what they call the non-aligned nations. You've got all these nations who automatically vote for the Palestinians no matter what. No matter what issue, they're always condemning Israel. Um, and so with this automatic majority, they have now had themselves uh, declared a non-member, a, a non-member state of the United Nations, meaning that they have observer status, they can go to certain committees, they, can, uh, they can't vote in the United Nations General Assembly, but they have a certain status. Now, what was their purpose? The purpose was not to, to vote or anything. The purpose was to have a majority of states in the United Nations declare them any kind of a state in, on the borders of 1967 ceasefire lines meaning they are now claiming, they are now claiming that all of Judea and Samaria has been recognized by the world, by the most important world body of the United Nations, as their state. Now, that is very, very dangerous. Judea and Samaria, as you know, uh, belongs to the Jewish people. Uh, Judea and Samaria, as you know, Israel has been willing to compromise on land that has been historically ours. Uh, we're willing to compromise to create some kind of a Palestinian entity on our land, but no one, no one is willing to say uh, and to give in to these outrageous and uh, not only outrageous, but also almost immoral demands that all of Judea and Samaria, including Jerusalem, uh, be given away and taken from, from our people. So, so that's where we stand now. They believe that the U.N. has given them uh, all the land, and that's the way they're going to continue behaving right now. Uh, Israel, of course, is not going to accept this, so we now have an impasse which I don't know if it can be resolved, and I certainly don't think the Palestinians are interested in it being resolved. Well, does that mean that the peace process is thrown away? It's off the table altogether? I think so. I think so. I think the Palestinian Authority might make some kind of uh, you know, lip service to pretend they're coming back to a peace process, but they have no reason to negotiate now because they think that the United Nations uh, gave them everything that they wanted. So why negotiate with Israel about borders when they think that Jerusalem, the Western Wall, the Temple Mount, they're claiming that the United Nations just gave that to them. So, so that's the great problem here. The great problem here is that um, they will have absolutely no reason to do any serious negotiations. In addition, in addition, the Palestinian Authority is saying that the world body's recognition of them as a state means that they had a right to a state all along, which means that all of their terror acts that they've done over the years, the slitting of children's throats, their suicide bombings, all of this is retroactively being accepted by the U.N. as legitimate. Now, of course, the U.N. did not say that, but that's what they're telling their people now. They're saying that all of the terrorists who, who murdered civilians, who sent suicide bombers, uh, people who are sitting you know, 20, 30, and 40 life sentences for murdering 20, and 30, and 40 people, all of them now are prisoners of war, and all of them now have to be exchanged like prisoners of war. So this is, again, a terrible thing. The Palestinian Authority 
uh, not giving their people a realistic picture. These people are terrorists. They've murdered civilians. They're telling their people now killing civilians was fine um, and is fine and is fine because they are uh, fighting for what they're claiming now has been recognized as, um, as their land. Well, can they then go forward with that same type of philosophy? If a Jew tries to get onto the Temple Mount, can they then bring out their weapons and kill anyone trying to take over their property? Absolutely. According to their ideology, they can do that. They, what they do is, is they claim that the United Nations, in one of its decisions years ago, was said that the Palestinian Authority can use all means to achieve their national, uh, their, their, their rights, this was a UN decision many, many years ago. Now, the UN did not mean did not mean violence because the UN Charter says all you know totally prohibits violence and certainly prohibits violence against civilians. But we have heard that UN clause quoted many, many times by senior Palestinian leaders who say that resistance, quote unquote resistance, which they which is really terror, killing civilians has been accepted by the U.N. It's their right by the U.N. So all along they've been saying this. Uh, now they're certainly going to say it, and they're going to tell their people that killing Israelis, killing Jews in Israel, in fact, killing tourists who are visiting Israel, uh, are legitimate targets and accepted by international law. That's what they're telling their people. Did they not uh, recently release a video which basically said killing Jews is worship of Allah? The, everything I've told you up till now is the Palestinian Authority Fatah, the, the video that, that we publicized that, that actually says that, that killing of Jews as worship of Allah was a Hamas video. Uh, it's part of the Hamas ideology. Uh, Hamas believes that the, uh, the hour of resurrection, the hour of the end of time, uh, is conditioned on the extermination of Jews. There's a hadith that indicates that, or they interpret the hadith. Uh, it's an Islamic tradition attributed to Muhammad. They interpret the Hadith to mean that, that all Jews have to be killed in order for the humanity to be redeemed. So they feel that therefore any time you kill a Jew, you're actually doing worship. You're doing what God wants. Now, I, I'm saying this is a Hamas who said this in this video, but you should know that earlier this year, the Mufti of the Palestinian Authority, the most important religious figure of the so-called moderates, the Fatah, he said at a Fatah event, the same Hadith, that the resurrection won't come, the end of time, until Jews are all killed. So it's, it, was, it happened this week as part of Hamas video clip, but unfortunately we've seen it expressed as a Palestinian ideology from so-called moderates as well as the Hamas. I understand, according to some of the reports I believe coming from you, that the Hamas ceasefire video also says death to Israel. In other words, they sign a ceasefire with the Israelis, and then they put out a video, kill the Jews. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. There, if any, what we have been saying since the beginning of our organization, Palestinian Media Watch, is we tell people never listen to what the Palestinians say in English, never listen to what they sign in agreements. Listen to what they say in Arabic to their own people. That's the only truth that really is coming from them. Uh, and we've been consistently right. We've been completely right since the beginning. Uh, m many people in the world by now understand this, that you can't. United States Congress understands this. The United States Congress takes, uh, takes our material very, very seriously. Uh, we're just hoping for the rest of the world to finally wake up and realize that they're being lied to. There's a whole deception process. We've documented, by the way, in the whole book, 
which we call deception, uh, which people can buy on our website. This process of deceiving the West that's done by the Palestinian Authority, it's very important. Anyone who wants to know what's really going on should, should listen to what they say in Arabic, should read, read our book and get a real sense of what's really going on. Well, indeed, that's why we have Itamar Marcus as one of our broadcast partners right here on Prophecy Today. Itamar, again, thank you. You are invaluable as the entire world must understand what truly the Palestinian people are saying, as you say, to their own people. Not in English, but what are they saying in Arabic? Thank you, my good friend. We'll talk again soon. Oh, pleasure always, Jimmy. Very interesting insight coming out of the report from Itamar Marcus. He heads up the Palestinian Media Watch, and he reveals to us what the Palestinian media is really saying about this situation there at the United Nations. Well, we're going to keep our focus in that part of the world, the Middle East, with Dr. Elwood McQuaid, longtime friend of us here on Prophecy Today. Often he joins us as a broadcast partner. And Elwood, it is just great to have you along. I have a very serious discussion I want to have with you. Uh, Let me just lay out the groundwork and then we'll get to our conversation. Uh, The opposition in Syria, in other words, the leadership of the opposition trying to overthrow uh, Bashar Assad and his regime there in Syria in this civil war that's unfolding, has come out, this leader has come out and said that Zionism is a cancerous movement. Now that does not sound like it's going to be any better should the opposition defeat Bashar Assad and bring down his regime. Uh, But what I want to do is talk about Zionism with you. You're somewhat of an expert on Zionism. First of all, could you give those eavesdropping on the conversation a definition of Zionism? Well, Zionism in very simple terms, Jimmy, is that anyone who believes that the Jewish people have an inherent right, biblical, moral, historical, legal right, uh, to a homeland in in the land of their fathers, That's the Zionist position. It's as simple as that. And that simple definition actually dates back into the late 1800s, does it not, in Basel, Switzerland, when uh, Theodore Herzl held the first Zionist uh, conference of any type. First Zionist Congress, uh, 1897, and uh, he declared that uh, at Basel, Switzerland, he had declared uh, a Zionist state in Israel. And it's a modern resurrection, of course, of the uh, ancient right to the land. Now, since that time, Jewish people from around the world have been making their way into the homeland, the ancient homeland of their forefathers, and they have been building a state, which is, in essence, as we look at the prophetic word of God, a fulfillment of Bible prophecy. In fact, I remember Benjamin Netanyahu, about a year ago, was in Moscow, Russia, and he was meeting with uh, Vladimir Putin, who was president of Russia. He made the statement that Ezekiel 37 had been fulfilled. Uh, That is a prophecy about the regathering of the Jewish people, the restoration of a Jewish state. And so he was pretty much on target when he made that statement, was he not? Uh, Yes, he was. And as a matter of fact, Jimmy, uh, I I once questioned uh, a lieutenant of uh, Menachem Begin, And I asked him pointedly if he believed in the literal, biblical interpretation of Ezekiel 38, 39, and he said he did. He believed 
what the Word of God said about Israel being in the land, Israel being under attack, he uh, said essentially what you've just quoted. Now, Zionism does not only apply to the Jewish people as a philosophy that they would accept for the days in which we're living, but uh, there is the term Christian Zionist. What would that be all about? Well, a Christian Zionist is a person who, and this is the important factor, Jimmy, really uh, the, uh, the, the central thing that must be considered. There is the question between what we call the uh, replacement theology uh, position. That is, that Israel has been set aside, God is through with Israel, and that the Church has replaced Israel as the true Israel of God. Con- uh, contrary to that, the Word of God stands very, very clearly on the fact that the land belongs to the Jewish people in perpetuity. It was given to them by God. That promise has never been rescinded, and that uh, Zionism is a legitimate, biblical, uh, 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 legitimate, biblical, uh, the property of the Jewish people exclusively, and that there are two plans. The plan for the church, of course, is very, very plain. You explain it all the time. We see the prophetic uh, ramifications of that. But there is a plan, another track, the track for Israel, Israel's restoration. You mentioned Israel coming back to the land. Jimmy, Israel came back to the land in 1948 and, and, by, and before that, but declared a state in 1948. It's the first time in all of the annals of human history that an ancient nation has walked out of the graveyard. Israel did it. God said they would do it once. It has been done. Should be a great encouragement to all of us. Well, I'd love that phrase, Israel has walked out of the graveyard. Well, God does have a plan for the Jewish people. Part of it is giving them that piece of real estate, but the establishment, of course, of a temple on the Temple Mount, a Messiah to rule and reign from that temple, is also a part of that eternal plan for the Jewish people. Christian Zionism is a part of those people who made up of people, I guess, in the church today who believe that God does have this plan and it will be fulfilled. And if we'll keep an eye on what's happening to the Jewish people and the state of Israel, we can basically know where we are in God's time. That's one of the great, that's one of the great positive aspects of this whole issue, is that God wants us to have discernment. Israel is at the center of a program that uh, lays out where we are, where we've been, where we're going, and what God has positively for the future of the Jewish people and for that land. So it's really indispensable to our biblical interpretation for us to stand as, quote-unquote, Christian Zionists with what the Word of God tells us. Yeah, just simply being biblist is exactly what the Lord is talking about. What does God's Word say? Take it literally, and that's how we come out with a conclusion. Now, one final question, and I really know the answer, but I just wanted to hear what your thoughts were. Why is the Arab world opposed to Zionism, and in particular, the Palestinians? They went to the United Nations. They had an upgraded status voted by the United Nations General Assembly. But it looks like they're all a part of a plan to try to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. Why do they want that to happen? That's what, that's what it's really all about. 
And, and the basis of it, Jimmy, and, and this is something that our even some of our leaders and, and, of course, the vast majority of the media don't understand, is that the basis of the attack to destroy Israel, and that's the program, it's not only to have, it's not to have a two-state living side-by-side in peace arrangement. Uh, the Palestinians and the Arabs' uh, radicals have refused to negotiate uh, properly. They're very clear uh, program is to wipe Israel off the face of the land. Uh, that's consistent with what uh, Ahmadinejad from Iran says about bombing Israel, causing a new holocaust, and they want to destroy that and have it all. And the basis of it is a religious commitment to uh, radical Islamic ideas that will not abide uh, Jewish presence in what they claim to be their state. Well, the thing is, Elwood McQuaid and myself have read the last chapter, the Jews win in the end, God's promises will be fulfilled to the Jewish people. Would you say amen to that, Elwood? I would say amen and amen. (laughs) Amen. Hey, thank you, buddy. Appreciate it. Good talking to you again. We'll talk again real soon. Thank you, Jimmy. Always a joy to be able to talk with Dr. Elwood McQuaid. Zionism. We are Christian Zionists because that's the biblical approach to understanding God's plan for the future. Well, a part of God's plan for the future is going to be the revival of the Roman Empire. I would have to say, along with many other scholars, that the European Union looks as if it is the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire. I'm going to bring to these microphones, I believe, a man who thinks exactly the same way, Dr. Rob Congdon, who weekly reports to us on what is happening in Europe and the European Union. Rob, would you agree with my statement about the EU being the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire? Yeah, I would. I have uh, studied empires, followed their pattern, and the EU is part of that ongoing uh, connection to the Roman Empire. So it certainly is, at this point, is part of the Roman Empire of past, if you will. It continues on. Whether it's the final form, we don't know, but it certainly is on the road and moving in that same direction today. You know, even that word empire has been used by the leaders of the EU recently, has it not? Yes, in a uh, question-and-answer time with the press, uh, the president of the commission, remember that's the most powerful body really in the EU, has called it an empire, but he, he warned everybody, it's not an evil empire, but a good empire. So uh, he uses that term. Uh, most people see it by the definition, the pure dictionary definition of an empire. I think the European Union well fits that description. This is setting the stage for any kind of conversation that we have with Rob to indicate what we talk about has great significance to an end-time scenario that can be found in God's Word. Now, Rob, we've been talking about over the last couple of days uh, the situation at the United Nations with the United Nations General Assembly approving an upgrade for the Palestinian people. Uh, Whether you accept what some say, that the Palestinians will now drop that word observer and just claim that they have state status, statehood with the United Nations or not, I I don't know if that that matters. But I do know, having read the scriptures, that the revived Roman Empire, which we were just talking about, plays a key role in the end times and a focus on the Jewish people and the state of Israel. In light of that, 
I understand, and you sent me an article on this, which I think is very key to our discussion. European Union declared their position with this vote at the the uh, United Nations, and basically it was a defeat for Israel, was it not? Uh, it certainly was, in fact, a dangerous defeat. Uh, there's quite a few ramifications of even being an observer. Uh, the worst is that it allows them access to the in- International Criminal Court. Uh, that's where you bring cases against war crimes, etc. Uh, this opens the door for the Palestinians to bring cases. Now, at one point, they t- reassured the Italian ambassador that they wouldn't use this International Criminal Court, and then they turned around and said to the United Kingdom ambassador, oh, yes, it, they could use it if they wanted it. So, uh, obviously, that's one of the key elements of what happened yesterday. The second uh, for the vote. The other thing that's important is it showed the EU is kind of weakening in its position of supporting Israel. Uh, the problem is the European Union sees the settlements as occupied land rather than part of Israel. So to many of the European Union countries, the UN vote merely was reflecting that it was settlements that were involved and not Israel proper. I think they're fooling themselves, and in reality, I'm sure they know they are too. But that's a safe position for the European Union. Well, speaking of those Jewish settlements and a lot of the foodstuffs that will be consumed by uh, the citizens of the European Union come out of Israel, which is somewhat of a breadbasket for not only the Middle East, but the much of the entire world as well. But the European Union countries are now considering sanctions against these Israeli settlements. What's the deal? Why don't they accept the settlements? Well, they they remember historically Europe uh, divided up the Middle East into their own areas of of influence and control, and those historical bonds continue strong in Europe, have always continued strong, and therefore when they're looking at Israel, uh, they're seeing the occupied lands, and and they're starting to say, well, now hold it, that really isn't Israel, and let's be sympathetic to these poor Palestinians. Always remember, just like in the U.S., the press is very strongly supporting the uh, Palestinians as oppressed people. They ignore facts, they ignore reality, and they always portray these settlers as radicals, and you envision them as kind of coming in and pushing out uh, poor, unfortunate Arab peoples. And so this is what the European Union sees. It fits with the generous heart of most Europeans, and so uh, they just say, well, it's time to take action and ban uh, buying products from those settlers that they keep calling the violent Israeli settlers. Uh, They seem to forget about rockets that are coming into Israel, but they do call the settlers the violent Israeli settlers. So you can see how they can really pressure people. Well, there's another story that we need to discuss, and I think this fits into what we've been already discussing. There is a neo-Nazi Hungarian lawmaker who's calling for a Jewish list. Man, that dates back to the times of the Holocaust. Oh, it sure does. He's called for a list of all Jewish members of the parliament and the government so that they would have this list. And then they could really see where one of their statements was the allegiance of these people really where it would be, whether it be Hungary or Israel. Now, the foreign country, the country's foreign ministry spokesman immediately said this doesn't represent the entire Hungarian parliament or government, 
but nevertheless, it certainly shows that uh, aspects are, are starting to appear in Europe uh, in stronger ways, and in this case, a lawmaker, so part of the parliament, and it needs to be watched very closely. Well, let's focus one more time, and this may be my final question for you today. The European debt crisis, uh, uh, some are saying, is bigger than the U.S. fiscal cliff. I mean, both of them are not good, but uh, could the EU crisis economically cause major problems in the near future? Uh, I certainly think it can. I, again, I feel that most, certainly Americans, don't realize the great influence the European market has on the United States. And uh, if Europe goes into a further recession, which it appears that it will be doing that, and um, it will drag the United States with it, which would cause, obviously, great problems here. They, realistically, the European Union is seeing a recession and a cutback coming in the years ahead. And so, uh, clearly, it is going to affect the United States. I think we should be watching it from a very close watch because, it, I agree with him, it will have a greater impact than how they deal with our immediate tax problems here in the United States. Rob, thank you so very much, my good friend. We'll talk again next week. Always good to be with you. Lord bless. Now, we're going to take a break for the news, and after the top of the hour, I'm going to have a conversation with Dr. John Whitcomb. We're going to be talking about blasphemy. There was a statement made by a very famous movie star who equated Barack Obama as our Lord and Savior. We'll get into that discussion in just a moment right here on Prophecy Today. Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. As mentioned earlier, I'm in Temporary Studios here in Waco, Texas. Last night and tonight and then all day tomorrow, we're at the Parkview Baptist Church. If you can join us, come along. We'd love to have you study the prophetic word of God. So many things are happening right now in our world. It's better for you to have an understanding and then a comfort zone. You see, studying Bible prophecy looks into the future, gives you a worldview, helps you to explain all the current events in light of what God's plan for the future is. So be sure to get involved in studying Bible prophecy. You can do it with our website. We have many aids to assist you in your study of Bible prophecy. We cover current events. We look at current events in light of biblical prophecy. We have all of our radio broadcasts. We have a number of them. They're all on our website, prophecytoday.com. And by the way, we have our poll question there on the front page of our website. Scroll down on the left-hand side. You'll see the poll question. Love to have you go and answer it. Here's the question for this week. Does the approval by the United Nations General Assembly giving the Palestinian people an upgrade observer state status enhance the fulfillment of Bible prophecy that can be found in Malachi 1, Ezekiel 35, and Obadiah for the resolution of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict? Be sure to go to our website and answer that poll question. like to have a better understanding of what you think about what is happening in our world today. And again, let me just remind you, our prophecy site, prophecytoday.com, is in your capability of getting information 
to understand some of these current events, what's folding. Again, we have there not only the poll question, we have a resource center. Boy, this is jam-packed full of information. We have PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network, and every single one of the interviews that we've had on this broadcast today will be available for you to be able to re-listen to. Or may I suggest you get a hold of a friend, tell them about what you heard if you listened to the program live, and tell them they can listen to it as well. The whole program's on, or they can go and just select the conversation with our broadcast partner they would like to listen to. That address again, prophecytoday.com, P-T-R-N, Prophecy Today Radio Network. It's It's really radio when you want it at your convenience. And do remember, we have radio 24-7, PTR, Prophecy Today Radio. It's an Internet radio station that's on our homepage as well. And I've got to tell you about our Prophecy Today intelligence briefing. Each and every day, a 15-minute broadcast looking at the latest information with a broadcast partner helping us to better understand what's happening. And every single Thursday, we put up a brand new television program. We have Prophecy Today Television. Starting on Thursday, and it goes to the next Thursday, you'll be able to view a program that I did when I was with Day of Discovery. We did it in the land of the Bible. These are fantastically produced programs, and I think they'll be of great interest to you, very informative as well. That's Prophecy Today Television, Prophecy Today Television. Go to our website, and uh, when you go to the archives, you'll see a number of other programs. Maybe you've already missed them. Hey, I would love to have you come along and go with us to Israel. We're going to be taking a trip this coming March and April. We'll be spreading out through those two different uh, months, and we'd love to have you uh, join us if you'd like to come. If you go to our website, you can find out information about our tours to Israel. This will be a great time. Going to Israel is like walking onto a stage where the actors have recently departed, but all the props are still in place. Again, go to the website, prophecytoday.com. It's under Joshua Travel, all the information you need, the cost, the schedule, uh, the time of arrival, what we're going to do, our uh, itinerary while we're in the land and everything. It's available, prophecytoday.com, Joshua Travel. You know, there are certain interviews that I so enjoy being able to do on this particular broadcast. One of them would be Dr. John Whitcomb. He's a man who went to Princeton University. He came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Later, he studied theology, and then he went into teaching theology and has been a professor in seminary for a number of years. But now, traveling as an itinerant speaker, traveling across the countryside, even at his age. Dr. John, how old are you? About 83, 84? 88. 88 years old. If I'm up and taking nourishment at that time, I'm going to be thrilled. You are such a blessing, not only to me, but the entire Christian world. The books you've written, The Genesis Flood with Dr. John Morris and the other books uh, that have been so valuable to each and every one of us who want to study some aspect of theology. You're just a real blessing, and thank you for being available today. Thank now, you. Thank you so much, Jimmy. You're certainly welcome. What prompted my conversation with you is that there is a, a Oscar-winning actor named Jamie Foxx. Now, he's, he's not the subject of what we're going to be talking about, but he's the one that made the statement at a big awards rally of some type, I think, for the Soul Train uh, singers, etc., uh, wherever this was, and it was on the BET cable network. 
He stood up, and I've seen the video of this. Many people across the world have been able to see this video. He stood up and said, let's give honor to God. But then he followed that statement, and that was all right as far as I'm concerned. But then he followed that statement, and our Lord and Savior, President Barack Obama. Now, in my opinion, when he made the second phrase in that statement, he blasphemed Jesus Christ. And I want to talk about that with you. Uh, First, before we get into the deep study of blasphemy as it relates to the end-time events that are going to unfold, can you give us, those eavesdropping on this conversation, a definition of blasphemy? What does it mean if somebody blasphemes God? Well, Jimmy, it means to speak something against God's glory, against his holiness, against his nature, to substitute someone else, something else, in his place, to degrade him, to in some way deny him, to distort what God says about him. All these things are very dangerous things to even think about, to say nothing of talking about. And I look at the book of Acts, the history of the early church, and look what happened to a man who didn't honor God properly. It says in Acts chapter 12, verse 20, He, the king of Israel, was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And with one accord they came to him, and having won over Blasses, the king's chamberlain, and they were asking for peace because their country was fed by the king's country. They were terrified. They did what they could to make him happy. Look what they did to him. On an appointed day, Herod, the king, having put on his royal apparel, took his seat on the rostrum and began delivering an address to them. Now, I'm not comparing this directly to our president, but listen to the situation. And the people kept crying out, the voice of a god and not of a man. What happened? Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him. Why? Because he did not give God the glory, and he died. And I say, oh, Lord, help me to be very careful, very careful what I think, what I say about you, your word, your will. But I'm terrified, Jimmy, at people who do this kind of thing and substitute, can you imagine this, the Lord Jesus Christ for some mere person on this earth. My hope, my prayer, my trust, and I do pray for the White House occupants, that nothing like this will even for a moment enter the heart of our president. And he say, yes, I think maybe you have a point. I just am terrified. Aren't you? Well, you better believe I certainly am. And in fact, I have been praying for Jamie Foxx. He's quite the actor out in Hollywood. Uh, But to make that statement, and again, let's make clear, the president did not make the statement. Jamie Foxx made the statement about President Obama and referred to him as the Lord and Savior. And that's the area that we consider blasphemy. Uh, But as you mentioned, John, it's very important that we pray for our president that he not even consider uh, in any way, shape, or form his popularity by a re-election to President of the United States and even consider that could be a a possibility at all. Uh, We're talking about blasphemy. I remember reading in the book of Revelation, chapter 13, I believe it's verses 1, 5, and 6, that the, the design of the Antichrist, when he comes on the scene, is going to be blasphemy as well. Back over in the book of Daniel, it says, when the Antichrist comes to power, he will speak great things against the Most High God, which is the name of God the Father. The Antichrist is going to 
blaspheme God in so many different ways. But uh, I have to come back and think about, for example, family television. I see so much blasphemy put forth by the actors, uh, uh, the new movies coming out, the books you read, people talking in the street. They're all blaspheming God. Is this an indicator we're quickly moving towards that scenario that's found in God's Word for the last days? Absolutely. And, of course, Revelation thirteen five says, There was given him, the Antichrist, a mouth speaking blasphemies. And he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name in his tabernacle. And I say, Lord, we see it now. The whole world is gradually becoming what? Conditioned for this kind of thing, to substitute for the glory of God something a mere man, a mere man is saying and doing. Lord, don't give us what we deserve. Help us. Preserve us. Bring us to repentance, to come to Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior, our Lord, who alone deserves glory in the history of the universe. Yeah, we see that the Antichrist is going to blaspheme. I believe, as First John says, the spirit of Antichrist is already here. I've walked on high school campuses, and I can remember when I was in high school many, many years ago, uh, when, uh, you know, they used to use the Lord's name in vain. Uh, recently, I was on a junior high or a middle school campus, and then I've been in an elementary campus where I hear some of those young children speaking words that even a a veteran sailor would not even know. But is this not evidence as well? We're not only talking about world leaders blaspheming God, the Antichrist blaspheming God, but even with our lips, people today is becoming more and more common to hear the Lord's name in vain, and that's blasphemy against God as well, is it not? Absolutely. And even born-again Christians will give an account to Jesus at the judgment throne of Christ, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, for what they've said, what they have thought, what they meant by what they've said, and what they've done since they were saved. I mean, even Christians, their salvation is not in question, but whether they receive a reward or lose one, it will be determined by a loving, gracious, wise, holy God at that judgment throne of Christ, which could happen, begin to happen today. You know, let me just conclude our conversation with this thought. Uh, Reading through the book of Ezekiel, chapter 35, I come to the understanding of a judgment pronounced against Mount Seir. And when you go back to Genesis, chapter 36, you see that's where Esau went to live uh, with his descendants, the Edomites, uh, there in southern Jordan, what is modern-day southern Jordan today. And it's now called Edom, or in biblical terms, it's called that. Uh, But uh, as I look at that judgment pronounced against the Palestinian people, and this is just another evidence of what we're seeing happening in our world today, it says that uh, in verse 5 of chapter 35 of Ezekiel that uh, you kill the Jewish people. And then in verse 10 it talks about uh, these people, the descendants of Esau, the Edomites, the Palestinians, are taking the land away from the Jewish people. And the Lord says through the prophet Ezekiel, by doing this, you are blaspheming me. And so it's not only individuals, it's not only political leaders, but it's it's a, a group of, of peoples who want to try to desert, uh, divert from what God's plan is for the end times, and by that way they can blaspheme God. Again, is this not another evidence of where we are as we approach the time of the rapture? Everything we see happening seems to in that direction. Keep our eyes on Israel especially, because they soon will make a covenant in desperation for security with someone for seven years, by which time 
the true church will be gone and the end of the world is near. Wow, that's our blessed hope, the glorious of appearing of our wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ. Dr. John Wickham, our special friend and a terrific broadcast partner with us, giving us insight into why blasphemy and spoken by any individual or pronounced by a world leader or even a nation of the world is an evidence of the soon coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, to call us out at the rapture and then the appearance of Antichrist, as uh, Dr. John has told us. Thank you so much, dear brother. We'll talk again down the line. God be with you. Have a wonderful day. Praise the Lord. Very, very interesting conversation with Dr. John Wickham. Dr. Whitcomb looks into what God's Word has to say about every subject I approach him on. And when we have a conversation, you know he has studied and will give us that information so valuable to our understanding of what's happening in our world. Remember that you can re-listen to that interview if you'd like to. ProphecyToday.com is the location. Go to PTRN Prophecy Today Radio Network. Hey, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, I'll take a look at the book right here on Prophecy Today. In today's world, a biblical worldview and a proper understanding of biblical prophecy should be a priority. At a time when many false doctrines are entering the church at a frightening pace, we must be able to rightly divide God's Word in order to live a pure and productive life for Him. If you would like an in-depth understanding of biblical prophecy, let me challenge you to consider Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. The School of Prophets is an online study for the layman or student pursuing a master's or doctorate degree. Dr. DeYoung's online study program will allow you to develop a timeline of biblical prophecies of the past, as well as future prophecies yet to be fulfilled. Your personal study of God's Word will only be enhanced by Dr. DeYoung's School of Prophets, and your life will be changed as you better understand, like Daniel, where you fit into God's calendar of events. If you're interested in developing a deeper understanding of God's prophetic Word, let me personally invite you to become involved in Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. Call today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us at schoolofprophets.org. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His scriptures for for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. On Prophecy Today weekend, we discussed with our broadcast partners the approval by the United Nations General Assembly, the upgrade of the Palestinian delegation at the UN to observer state status. Now the Palestinians can claim that they are a state. This UN activity, in essence, set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. 
We'll get to that in just a moment. I want to remind you about the conversations that I had with our broadcast partners. Ken Timmerman was in Washington, D.C., and he talked about Egypt's President Morsi as a major factor in the U.N. vote. David Dolan, with our Middle East News update, said that Prime Minister Netanyahu says that there's no change on the ground and that Israel will keep security in place for the Israeli people. Itamar Marcus talked to us about the Palestinian media, and he told us they are using this U.N. vote as a propaganda ploy. Elwood McQuaid, we were talking about Zionism, but he reminded us that the Palestinian people are part of the Arab people who want to get rid of Zionism in the Middle East. Dr. Rob Congdon, reporting on the European Union update, was surprised by the vote of many of the European Union member states for the Palestinians. We had a discussion also about blasphemy with Dr. John Whitcomb, and he reminded us that Ezekiel chapter 35, verses 10 to 12, reveals that the taking of Jewish land that God had given the Jewish people is, in essence, blasphemy. Well, all of these conversations can be heard again if you'd like to, or you can call a friend and tell them about the conversations I had with our broadcast partner. They're located on our website, prophecytoday.com, PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. Be sure to go there and re-listen to these interviews or call a friend and tell them how they can hear what our broadcast partners had to say. Right now, I want to give you my prophetic perspective on this development. You know, the UN vote to grant the Palestinians state status in an historic vote is simply setting the stage, as I said, for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. If you have a moment, think about this with me. With the non-aligned member states of the United Nations and the European Union member states, the United Nations General Assembly overwhelmingly voted the Palestinian delegation an upgrade in their status at the United Nations. That gives the Palestinians a claim to statehood. Palestinian Authority President Mahmoud Abbas, when addressing the United Nations General Assembly, said that he was there to allow the United Nations to issue a birth certificate for the state of Palestine. By the way, by making that statement, Abbas admitted that there never has been a Palestinian state. This UN vote has only enhanced the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and has basically negated any peace process that may have brought resolution to the conflict. 2,500 years ago, a number of ancient Jewish prophets foretold of a time in history when this type of a scenario would be played out on the world stage. You know, when you stop to think about that, the fact is, this scenario has never been just as it is today, which is evidence that we are quickly approaching the time the prophets were talking about. The last book in the Old Testament, the last of the 17 prophets, Malachi, revealed that the Palestinian people, now these would be the descendants of Esau, they're referred to as the Edomites, that these Palestinian people would try to rebuild their nation. It says that they will gather from around the world, they will come into the area known as Israel today, and they would try to rebuild. 
Remember in the book of Genesis chapter 36, the Lord sent Esau and all of his descendants to a place called Mount Seir. Now that would be the lower third of modern day Jordan today. So they really never had any kind of a state throughout all of history for 4,000 years in what we know as Israel today. However, Malachi said they would return and they would rebuild. In that same passage, Malachi reports that the Lord will call their borders, as they set these borders up, he will call their borders the borders of wickedness. Then he goes ahead to say that he will have indignation against these people, the Palestinian people, descendants of Esau, throughout every generation. That's the book of Malachi chapter 1. The prophet Ezekiel said God will judge the Palestinian people because of verse 5 in Ezekiel chapter 35, they kill the Jewish people, their brothers in essence. Verse 10 says not only do they kill the Jewish people, they take the land from the Jewish people, land that God has given them. In fact, he says that's blasphemy when they take this land. That's the book of Ezekiel chapter 35. You know, the resolution to the Palestinian-Israeli conflict will only come when the Messiah, Jesus Christ, returns to the earth. That's found in the prophecy of the little book of Obadiah. Obadiah is jam-packed with information, a prophecy, a judgment upon the Edomites. First of all, they were very, very proud because of where they lived. Remember, they went to live in a place called Petra. And they were right on the king's highway. They would come out of the Seek, which is a high, narrow gorge, the only entrance into Petra. So it was an impregnable city. They would come out, they would rob the merchants, then run back into Petra for protection. And if anybody was able to ever make their way through that mile and a half gorge, which is called the Seek in Arabic, high, narrow gorge, Uh, They would uh, find that the Palestinian people, descendants of Esau, were like eagles in their nest in the cliffs of the rock. Now, they were about 2,000 feet above, and they thought nobody, none of their enemies could get to them. Well, they are not impregnable. The Lord said, I'm going to bring you down. And he lays out in verses 15 to 18 how he would do that. At the end of the seven-year tribulation period, Jesus Christ will come back to the earth. When he does that, He is going to fulfill all the promises that he made to the Jewish people. They will be a nation forever, the Abrahamic covenant. They'll have a piece of real estate forever, ten times what they have today. That's the land covenant. He also gave them the Davidic covenant. There will be a temple on the Temple Mount. The Messiah will rule and reign from there. And he gives them the new covenant. They will be his people. He will be their God. In order for that to happen, he wipes out the Edomites as if they have never been, the text tells us. This United Nations vote did indeed set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. And when I stopped to think about it, after everything I had to say today, it is evidence that the rapture of the church could happen at any moment because it happens before all of these prophecies are fulfilled. And having said that, there's nothing left for me to say except let's keep looking up until... Join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Thank you.